Well, good morning again. I hope you're doing well this morning. Um, again, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here, and um, I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad that you're here um, on this last Sunday in January. Uh, we are wrapping up a series that we've been going through this January called Wholehearted. And um, if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to the book of Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 uh, will be there today in Malachi 3. It may sound familiar to you because in our series in December called Anticipate, uh, we were in Malachi a few different times, and we go back to Malachi, who was one of the Old Testament prophets. Um, uh, it's great to be back with you. Um, I've had two weeks off from preaching um, these past two weeks, and um, I got to tell you, um, Cody, our student pastor, did a great job, and Cody, I'm very thankful uh, for you filling in for him, buddy. Thank you. There are, um, just to let you know a little bit about my time off over the past two weeks, I've actually been working, um, I, I didn't, you know, some people come up and they're like, hey, you know, man, you got the best job in the world, all you have to do is work on Sundays. Don't say that to your pastor, by the way. If you're from out of town and you're like, hey, I'm going to say that to my don't say that to your pastor. It's not very nice. But um, I've taken the last couple weeks off um, just from, from speaking, from preaching, uh, from giving the message. Um, and um, just to let you know, I took one whole week um, and got away by myself. Um, Cynthia, my wife, who is also our worship arts director, is on sabbatical. And uh, for a week, I got away to focus um, on preaching, on the preaching calendar for the year and kind of doing some advanced planning, really praying and uh, working through what God um, is going to give us this year as a church. And uh, so I'm looking forward to unpacking that with you over the next couple weeks. Won't do it today, but um, I have an opportunity to do that here in the future. Um, but over the course of the last two weeks, um, I've actually been here um, on Sunday morning. And uh, it's been great to, to just be here on Sundays, just like you, just, you know, uh, being here as an attender and a worshiper. And um, there were a couple observations that I just want to make note of. This has nothing to do with the message, by the way. This is just sidebar stuff, okay? So uh, there's just two things, two observations that I want to make. Number one is um, I am so incredibly proud and excited um, about our volunteers. You guys make it happen week in and week out. So I want to give you a round of applause. All the volunteers. It wasn't surprising for me to see, but it was delightful for me to see um, how many people are involved in making what happens um, on Sunday morning and throughout the week, making that happen uh, week in and week out. I was delighted by that. And so I want to thank all of you who are involved in um, being faithful to um, God's church and his kingdom. Um, the other observation that I want to make is that having two weeks off um, from teaching um, really gave me rest. And so while I may be a bit rusty this morning and I've been dealing with a really bad um, cold and that sort of thing, woke up this morning, nothing came out when I opened my mouth. Um, I could not speak. So just uh, pray for me that I can get through two services here this morning without um, going back to laryngitis, which I've had the last couple days. Um, but it really gave me rest. And so I'm very thankful to Cody for allowing me to have two weeks off. I don't think that's happened in the past few years. And so um, I'm very excited to be back with you today, re-energized and uh, excited about all that God has for his church here on Hilton Head this year. 
I've heard it said that if you really want to get a good picture of um, someone's walk with God, their journey with God, if you really want to get a good insight to um, kind of where you really are with God, you know, not maybe kind of the shell layer, but where you really are with God, if you want to really get a good insight, take a look at your checkbook and your calendar. Oh, man, that's pretty rough, isn't it, when you think about that? Um, Take a look at your checkbook and your calendar, and that gives a really good insight to where you are with God. Well, in this series that we've termed wholehearted, we've established what it means um, to be wholehearted in our faith. Um, We talked in week one about the fact that God owns it all, that we like to have this category of stuff over on one side that says, this is God's, this is my spiritual stuff, and then there's this stuff over here that's my personal stuff, and I really don't want either of them to mix, and what we talked about is the fact that God owns it all spiritual, personal, whatever it may be, it's his anyway. And so once we resign ourselves and once we uh, give ourselves up to that fact, then um, we can truly start putting the pieces of our life together. In week uh, two, Cody taught us that being wholehearted means to have um, a generosity that can be spontaneous. You know, just this incredible willingness to give of ourselves to God and his people in our community. And so last week, Cody talked about the calendar side of things. He talked about how if we really, truly want to be wholehearted, if we want to be all in in terms of our walk with God, that when it comes to our time, we ought to have a God view of our time and that we ought to realize that we, we, we've got to make the most of every opportunity that God has given us. And so in this series, kind of from a 40,000 foot view, kind of the overarching themes, we've talked about ownership, we've talked about just ridiculous generosity, we've talked about trust, and we've talked about what God says about time. Well, today, I want to tackle the subject of money. Don't leave, okay? Don't leave. I want to talk about the subject of money and what God has to say about it. Now, um, there are many things that the Bible has to say about money. Um, today, um, in, in fact, really in, in Scripture, there are more references, and you've probably heard me say this, maybe you've heard other pastors say this. There are more references to personal um, possessions and money than anything else in the Bible. There's more references to money and personal possessions than there are about love or hope or even grace. So the Bible says a lot about, say it with me so we don't all leave, money, okay? All right, good, you guys are with me this morning. Um, But I want to focus today on one aspect, and it's this. It's the fact that how we handle our money, how we handle our money is an indicator of our relationship with God. How we handle our money is an indicator of our relationship with God with God. It's not the only indicator, but it is a key indicator of our relationship with God. Now, I realize, I know it, that some of you are squirming in your seat knowing today's subject is about money. And um, there are so many different reactions to when a pastor in a church gets up and speaks about money. For instance, if you're in here today and maybe you are a new Christian, you're a new Christ follower, or maybe you've had a renewed commitment to Christ recently, or you're growing in your faith, 
you genuinely want to hear today's message. You genuinely want to learn what God's word says about money. My prayer is, is that you will. For others, maybe you're in here today and you're skeptical, or maybe you're kind of searching for what life is all about and you're testing out the God of creation and Jesus, his son, and you're trying to figure this out. And maybe you're skeptical of the church. And so um, you've seen generations of churches say one thing about money and do another. And so when you hear a pastor talk about money, quite honestly, you're disgusted. My prayer for you today is that you would just listen to the heart of God. Not listen to my words, but listen to the heart of God about a very important subject. Now, for others... You are today, as it stands on Sunday, what is today? February the 27th, or January the 27th. Whew. Just put us a month later. Okay, so January the 27th, today on Sunday, January 27th, you are in a deep hole financially, and the last thing that you wanted to do when you came to church is to hear a guy talk about the thing that gives you the most stress. I mean, you're anxious about money, and so you today want to leave. And I pray that while I pray here in a moment, that you don't leave and get up and leave uh, quietly. Um, and I honestly pray that you will listen to the heart of God and that God will give you peace over these next few minutes together. Now, let me just say this, and I'll be, I'm going to give you my story today uh, about finances and about stewardship, which is a very personal thing. Um, but I want to say this. For a long time, I was in that last group. I was in the group of people who you're here today, and when, I, when the words came out of my mouth 10 minutes ago, money, um, you broke out in a cold sweat. <laughs> I, I've been there. I, I was that person. Hang on. I was a pastor, and I was that person. That's really bad, right? I mean, you're not supposed to be a pastor and break out in a cold sweat when your pastor speaks about a subject, right? Because you're supposed to have it all together. Well, um, I had severe anxiety about money, and stewardship is a very deeply personal issue for me because there was a time when, just to be frank and honest, um, I was completely, completely disobedient to what God's Word says about this issue. So much so that I had tremendous anxiety about it. I mean, I was the kind of guy that when a commercial about a credit card company would come on TV, I, I would just like get all anxious inside and break out in that cold sweat. Um, when I would go to the mailbox, I would do so and my hands would literally shake. That's the kind of anxiety I had. When the phone rang in the house, I knew who it was. It was probably not a good call. And I had anxiety about money. So you can imagine the anxiety that I had when I went to church and the pastor started talking about money for 40 minutes. I wanted to leave. And I made the mistake. I didn't leave physically because I was a pastor. I was on staff. But I left in terms of my heart and my mind and my spirit. And so my encouragement to you today is if you're in the spot that I was in uh, years ago, my encouragement and my prayer and my challenge is just allow God to speak into your life peace today. Regardless of how you feel on the outside, allow him to speak peace in your life as I speak to you about what God's word says about money. Why don't we stop and pray for that this morning, okay? Father God, I pray that you would just speak to each one of us who are here in this room. 
pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth and wisdom. And for those who need to be challenged today, I pray that you would challenge them. For those who need to be encouraged to do more, I pray that you would encourage them. And Father, for those who are in here today who are skeptics, and they don't want to hear another pastor at a church be a hypocrite and talk about money again, I pray that you would speak to them in a very real way. And for those who are here today who have anxiety about money, God, I pray in their life that you would give them peace over the next few moments together. And that maybe this time it's different. Maybe this time they'll listen to the heart of what you have to say about stewardship and that they would make a change as a result. Guide us, pierce our hearts, lead us over these next few moments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the story that I'm about ready to tell you about money, I just want you to know, Cynthia, of course, is gone. My wife, she's on a sabbatical. And so I want you to know that I asked her permission to share the parts of the story that relate to her. So I'm not telling you something that I haven't gotten her sign off on, okay? Um, so you'd be like, wow, man, I can't believe he's talking about that. Oh, I asked Cynthia about it, and I talked to her about it. Um, I grew up in a home um, where my dad was in sales and um, he was an extremely successful salesman. He worked very, very hard. Um, but generally, um, in my house growing up, we just didn't have to worry about much. Um, there, there wasn't financial strife and stress that I saw um, in my home. And if we needed something or even wanted something, uh, in most cases, we could get it. Um, I, didn't, I never viewed myself as rich. I never viewed the home I grew up in as rich. It just was, everything was pretty much taken care of. And so I, um, I grew up in that kind of home. Um, one thing that my parents developed in me um, from a very early age was an extremely good work ethic. Um, I was working before it was legal to work. Um, and everybody knew it, and I guess I just looked the other way or something. But I worked um, from the time I was 13 and 14 years old um, to make money. And any time that I had downtime, it was a requirement in our home that I had to work. And my sister, as she got older, um, she had to do the same thing. Okay, so students, if you're in here today and you're like, man, my parents are hard on me, um, man, uh, just... Take a look at what I had to do. Any moment that I had downtime, I had to work. I had to work all through high school and even at the end of middle school. I had to work all through high school and all through college. So my parents instilled in me a very good work ethic. But here was my pattern, and it developed early on. It developed all the way back into middle school, is I would make money, and I would spend all of it, and then I'd be stressed out, and the cycle would start again. I would make money. I would spend, say it with me, all of it. <laughs> you guys were listening, weren't you? I would spend all of it, and then I'd be stressed out, and the cycle would start again. And so I took that pattern that I had developed in middle school and high school and continued into college. I brought that into my marriage. I've been married 17 years this year, and I brought that into my marriage and so you know how like somebody will say, man, when you, get marriage, when you get married, there's baggage that each of you bring into that marriage? That was my baggage. Is I had this pattern of making a lot of money, spending 
all of it, all right, yeah, you're with me, and then being stressed out, and the cycle would start again, and I brought that in our marriage, and guess who managed the finances for the first about decade of our marriage? Me. Not good. It wasn't a good choice. It wasn't a good idea, um, and I, um, I managed it, and I carried that mentality, that pattern into our married life together for Cynthia and I. Well, um, up till about five or six years ago, I managed that. And right about the time when we moved here to Hilton Head, um, our financial situation was a complete disaster because it was 10 years or more of making money, spending all of it, and being stressed out about it. I had carried that pattern into our marriage. And so I woke up one day right about the time that we moved here and things were a mess. Now, we had moved from Atlanta, Georgia, um, where we had managed our money fairly well and we had just gotten by and done fairly well. We moved and God called us to New York City, not exactly the most inexpensive place to live. And so it was very expensive um, to live there. All at the same time, we had a house back in Atlanta. We were starting a church up in New York City. Um, we had a house in Atlanta that hadn't sold that I found renters for. But guess what? Uh, I found if you're a landlord in here, I understand your dilemma because my tenants paid about half the time. And um, so that kind of made a bad financial situation worse. I had no idea just how expensive New York City would be. We didn't even have cars. We sold our cars, and it was incredibly expensive. And you add to that the stress of having a home and having tenants that didn't pay, but about half the time, and things were spiraling out of control. We were basically living off of our credit cards. And so we moved here, and God led us here, and um, very quickly things were spiraling out of control, um, so much to the point that once we landed here on Hilton Head, um, we were probably days away or weeks maybe away from what most people would consider, um, you know, filing for bankruptcy. Um, if that weren't enough, in the midst of all this in New York and for the first few months that we lived here on Hilton Head, I made two very, very poor decisions. Now, I want you to hear exactly what I said. I didn't say that I made mistakes. I made two very poor decisions. And I want to differentiate that because I think sometimes when it comes to finances, we use the word mistake when we really need to use the word decision. Because a mistake is adding up the numbers wrong or subtracting the numbers wrong, which I had done probably hundreds of times in our financial life. That's a mistake. But I made two very key decisions. Are you with me on the distinction there? I made two very key decisions that were uh, very harmful to our financial life and to my marriage. And the first one is, is at the end of our time in New York, I began to back off on the practice of biblical tithing. Now, it didn't happen overnight, but as I made money and spent it all, and I got stressed, the stress forced me to do what I thought was best, and that is, is take what God has given me and to manage it myself. And I decided that what I could do to save a little money is to back off on the biblical principle of giving God a tenth of our income. And so I made the decision, number one, to back off on tithing. And we'll talk about that here in a few moments. But the second decision I made that was willful and sinful and a choice was I didn't tell my wife about any of this 
under the guise of, I don't want her to be what? Stressed or worried about it. Bad decision number two. And so we found ourselves, just quite honestly, in a huge pickle when we first moved to Hilton Head Island. And finally one day, I broke down and I told her about it and I gave everything. We put it all on the table. She was shocked, surprised, frustrated, and angry. Everything that you might think that she was, she was. But she forgave me and we moved on. And I want to tell you that there was one decision. There were two key decisions that we made at that moment. Number one, we decided then and there we were going to fix our finances. And that meant that we went to Financial Peace University. And I tell this story, I've been through it twice because I am stubborn and I have a hard time learning. And so I had to go through it twice to really understand the principles. But we decided then and there that we were going to fix it, that we were going to do things to manage our money better than we had in the past. That was the only way out. We weren't going to file for bankruptcy. We were going to try as desperate as the situation was. We were going to do everything that we could to fix it. But even more than that, there was a key decision that we made then and there. And I remember sitting at our kitchen table there in a rental house and having talked to Cynthia and over all the tears and frustration and anger, we made a decision that we would begin right then and there at that moment with as little as money as we ever had in the bank and more liabilities and debt than we ever had in our lives. We decided right then and there that we would write a check for 10% of what God gave us last week. And we decided right then and there that we would return to the biblical principle of tithing because it was the right thing to do. But I want to tell you, here's the real part of that. I was scared to death to do that. Cynthia was not scared to death to do that. My wife led me during that time spiritually because she understood that God promises in his word, and we'll take a look at that, that he would take care of us. I was scared to death to write that check that week. And you know, we wrote the check, and it didn't bounce. It didn't. I was shocked, but it didn't bounce. It was cashed, and we tithed, and we got on a path back to stewardship, biblical tithing that I had slowly faded away from. Our pastor in Atlanta years ago, his name's Ike Reichard, he used to make this statement. He used to say, your point of departure from God ought to be your point of re-entry to him. I love that statement. Your point of departure from God ought to be your point of re-entry back to him. You see, in my own life, the stress after the making money and spending all of it and then being stressed about it, the stress caused me to depart from what I knew was truth because I wanted to handle it on my own. And so at the core of my issue when it comes to money, and I would imagine, I would guess that many of you are the same way, is a trust issue. I didn't trust that God would take care of it. And so we decided right then and there that at the beginning of our financial crisis, I made a decision to back off on our tithing. We got back to that spot right away. And I tell you that to not be prideful. I tell you this whole story for two reasons. Number one, if you are in the hole today financially, there is hope. I am living proof 
that there's hope because over the last five or six years when we got into financial peace, when we uh, began to tithe, um, God has taken care of every need. It certainly isn't perfect. We've had some setbacks. We had a car go bad. We had an air conditioner in our house go bad. I have bad luck with air conditioners. We have two that are going bad here in the church. So anyway, we had an air conditioning unit go bad. We had a couple health issues that cost some money that we weren't expecting. It's not perfect. But, you know, over the past five or six years, the stress has gone down. The peace has come into our marriage and into our life. And God has taken care of every need. Be encouraged if you're in here today and you're in a hole that God will take care of you. If you're obedient to him, he will take care of you. Let's take a look at Malachi chapter 3, 6 through 10. And we're going to take a look at this passage this morning and learn three different lessons from this passage. Malachi the prophet says this to the nation of Israel. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your father's you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. He says this, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you will say, how shall we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, God, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then verse 10, he ends this way. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is need no more. Take a look at your notes this morning. We're going to dive right in with our time together here to your notes. The first lesson I want us to learn is this. God set the minimum standard of what we are to give back to him at 10% of what we produce. God set the minimum standard of what we are to give back to him at 10% of what we produce. I want to take a look first at verse 10, particularly the first part of that. Malachi says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that you may have, there may be food in my house. Now, there's two questions. There's the what and the where. Those are the two questions that we have to deal with. The, the, the what is, what is a tithe? Okay, a tithe in scripture, as we look at the original language in the Hebrew language, it literally means 10% or one-tenth of your income. It, there's no other in all of Scripture when that word is used, uh, the, in the Hebrew word there, it's ne it never means anything else. It always means one-tenth of your income. Now, that, I believe, is a minimum standard, and there may be some of you who feel led to give much, much more, but I think for the Christ follower, what God is saying is, is that, remember, week one, it's not yours anyway, it's all God's. Week two, we ought to have generosity. Week three, we ought to be paying attention to how we spend our time. And here we are in week four, God says 10% is what you're to give. And so Malachi teaches that there's a minimum standard of 10%. Now, some of you may be asking the question, well, can't I give something else other than money to the church? Well, if that is your form of currency, then yes. 
Back in this day and age, people gave grain, and they gave sheep, and they gave goats, and they gave fruit to the storehouse. We'll talk about that in a moment. Because that was their form of currency. That was their income. And in an agrarian society where often they would barter services, oftentimes people in their tithe gave a service to the temple. And so whatever your currency of income, most of us in here um, aren't receiving goats and grain and fruit uh, in our day and age. I certainly hope not. Um, you're receiving this thing called cold hard what? Cash. And that's the form of currency that we have today. Now, some of you may be asking another question. Do I give on the gross or do I give on the net? <laughs> and quite honestly, quite frankly, if you're asking that question, um, you, you probably missed the spirit of the whole message this morning, and that's okay. I'm going to answer it anyway because maybe it really is altruistic, and here's how I'm going to answer it. God ties a spiritual blessing to the practice of giving 10%. So my question back to you would be, what part do you want to be blessed on? Cody calls that a Jesus juke that I just did right there. <laughs> what part do you want to be blessed on? Do you want to be blessed on all that you give, or do you want to be blessed on what you keep after taxes? And so generally in the spirit of tithing, I think the more pure practice is when you, that you tithe on the gross. You tithe before taxes. The bottom line is that tithing means giving 10%. Then the question is where? Well, Malachi says here to the storehouse. Now, I want to define that. The storehouse is the temple or dwelling place of God. Now, there are two different definitions that um, in our study, and Cody and I, when we're studying this, see the theologians give. It either means the temple generally, or it means like the closet where they stored food and grain and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it would be synonymous to me saying, I just went to the grocery store, I'm going home to put my groceries in my home, or I'm going home to put my groceries in my pantry. There's not really a difference there in the Hebrew word that talks about storehouse. It generally means the temple. And so back in this day and age, people would bring their grain and their sheep and goats and fruit and other things, and in some cases probably actual currency, and they would bring it. And in the temple, there was a place that they stored it. There was literally a storehouse where they would store all this stuff, and it was used to take care of the priest there in the temple. And so Cody and I joked, if you have a plump priest, that temple is probably doing pretty good in the um, area of stewardship. And so I've added a few pounds over these last few years. So thank you uh, for giving to God. Um, of course, we got skinny Cody in the back here, so maybe you need to give more. Um, but um, They gave to the temple to give to the priest. It was used for the poor. It was used to trade so that they could take care of the temple. And so they gave it literally to the temple. The point is, is that in this day and age, that the place where we're supposed to give to God is his dwelling place, his house, the church. So it's 10%, it's given to the church. Now, there may be some of you that say, yeah, but that's an Old Testament principle, so it was completed when Jesus came to the cross and died to complete the Old Testament law, which is a whole nother sermon at some point in time. But some of you who are great theologians may ask that question. Well, that's true, except that in the Bible, you can kind of use, generally use this test to know what Old Testament laws apply to today. If Jesus confirmed it, or if the Old Testament or the New Testament confirms it, 
then it is a rule of living that we should abide by today. And Jesus confirmed the Old Testament practice of tithing in this little verse in Matthew 23, 23. Take a look at this verse so that you know that we're supposed to live by this today. Jesus says, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Now, the main point of that passage is that we should love above all other rules. But there's a secondary point that we ought to take home from that passage where Jesus um, kind of slaps those religious leaders on the wrist is the fact that tithing still ought to exist today. He says you ought to have done the former without neglecting the others. And so we see that tithing is something that we ought to live by today. That this idea of giving 10% to the church is really a modern-day practice that we ought to have as Christ followers. Let's take a uh, move on to our second point this morning. Our departure from tithing indicates a lack of wholehearted trust in God. When I was going through my anxiety about money, when I was going through my disobedience on money, at the core of the issue was a trust issue. Take a look at what was happening with the whole nation of Israel in those verses leading up to verse 10 in Malachi 3. Take a look at verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside for my statutes. And you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you'll say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed? Well, you've robbed in your tithes and offerings. You see, I want you to catch this. Please don't miss this. The nation of Israel was doing the same thing back then that I was doing a few years ago with God. They were backing off in terms of their trust of God with everything. A bug just flew right into my forehead. That was nice, right? They forgot that they could trust God Almighty, the God who took care of them for so long. And that's exactly what I did. Now, obviously, there was some sort of financial instability in Israel, or there was some fear of financial instability, because he begins by saying, I, God, will not change. I want you to hear this. Regardless of what you're going through financially, God will not change. And your point of departure from him in the area of finances ought to be your point of return back to him. For me, it was writing that check immediately. Yes, financial peace helped. Absolutely, it set us up for success in the future. It got our financial house in order. But the first step of obedience for me was getting back to the original plan for our lives, and that is that we tithed. Now, the prophet here speaks about a curse. I want you to take a look at the curse that he was talking about. Moses mentioned it much earlier in Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, just so you know, is a book where Moses goes into depth on the Ten Commandments. That's generally speaking, but that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. And so he gets towards the end of Deuteronomy, and he talks about the blessing that you'll receive when you follow God's rules, and he talks about the curse that you'll receive if you don't. Take a look at Deuteronomy 28, 15, and 20. Verse 15 says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commands... 
and his statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Look at verse 20. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Nice verse of encouragement today on January the 27th, right? The words that jump off the page for me are frustration and confusion. Because I don't know about you today, but in my life years ago, because I wasn't obeying what God said, my life was full of frustration and confusion about money. But then we decided to get back to obedience, and that leads me to point three. Our return to tithing is a declaration to God that we trust his provision for our lives. Our return to tithing is a declaration to God that we trust his provision for our lives. Malachi says, God says through the prophet Malachi, test me on this giving thing. Test me on tithing. Look at the second half of Malachi 3.10. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing on you until there is no more, say that last word with me, need. Until there is no more need. I want you to hear what I'm not saying this morning. I'm not saying this morning that if you write a tithe check to God's church, wherever you attend church, whether it's here or somewhere else, I'm not saying this morning that once you do that, that you will have abundance and that you will become rich and that you will be in a new tax bracket next year. I'm not saying that there is wealth and prosperity tied to being obedient to God. You know what I'm telling you? Is that you can take to the bank that he will supply what? Your needs. He will supply your needs. Paul echoes this in Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know, this is the only area in Scripture where God says to test me. In fact, Scripture says to not test God in most areas. But in this area of money, he says, test me. Try me. See if I won't take care of you. The bottom line is this. We're challenged to test God's provision for our lives by making a commitment to the practice of tithing. Deuteronomy talks about the blessings that you'll receive if you obey God. Take a look at it this afternoon. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. He talks about the blessings that you'll receive when you obey him. I want you to hear me, church. The reason that I tell you this story is not because it's dramatic, and trust me, it was. When you hide something from your spouse, it's going to be dramatic, okay? Students, young married couples, learn that early, okay? It's going to be dramatic. But I tell you that not because it was a dramatic thing that happened in our lives. I tell you that because there can be peace. And the first step towards God absolutely taking care of you is saying, yes, I'm going to tithe. This morning, I'm going to pray here in a moment, and after I pray, um, the worship team is going to come back up, and Debbie's going to sing a song. 
During that song, I, I, I want to encourage you to fill out one of these 90-day challenge cards. Take these out. You received one when you came in this morning. And if you didn't, there are some at the guest service desk. Here's what this says. Hilton Head Island Community Church 90-day challenge card. It says, I'm committing to pray for Hilton Head Island Community Church and for financial blessing in 2013. <laughs> we need that. We need you to pray. So if you're here today and that's all you can do, great. If that's all God is leading you to do, great. The second thing says, I am making a financial commitment to give 10% of my financial resources for 90 days. Then it has a place for you to fill out your name, email address, and phone number. I want to encourage you, if you've never tithed or if you, like me, quite a number of years ago, got away from the practice of giving 10%, I want to challenge you to test God. So much so, here's the commitment I'm, as a church, making with you. If you take this 90-day commitment, if you fill out this card, and for 90 days you give 10% of your income, if at the end of 90 days God hasn't met all of your needs, our church will refund you 100% of what you've given. That's how much I believe that God will take care of you. Are you with me this morning? You can trust him in your finances. And so if, if you're here today and you're frustrated and you're confused, like that verse in Deuteronomy talked about, and you want to move to a place of peace, yes, going through financial peace is awesome. And I saw Mary back there. She's going to do a great job of leading you, Mary Eminetti, through financial peace this year. Sign up for financial peace. But I'm telling you, there's also another act of obedience, and that's getting back to the biblical principle of tithing. I've filled out this card. Cynthia and I are already tithe. I told you about that. If you're in here today and you already tithe and you want to re-up with God, I want to encourage you to fill this out also. You'll receive a weekly email from me if you put your information on here and if it's your first time tithing or if you want to re-up and say, man, I'm taking this challenge even though I tithe. Our elders are going to lead you in doing this this morning. And so after, when Debbie comes up to sing, after I pray, and I'll instruct you again on this, if you feel God's leading in your life to do this this morning and make it a public declaration, you can take it down and put it in that basket right there in front of the cross. I'm going to lead you on doing that this morning here in a moment. So let's pray and ask God's blessing for this. Father God, thank you so much for meeting all of our needs, your promises to meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And Father, I thank you for my story. I've got a few scars and a few nicks from that story. But God, I'm not the only one that used to get sweaty palms when we think about our financial situation. I'm not the only one out there that got overwhelmed when a commercial would come on TV or somebody in a group would talk about money. Father God, I know that there are those out there that do. And this isn't as much about our church and our financial situation as it is about our relationship with you. Help those who are in here right now, who are having a difficult time even filling this card out. I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would give them the, the courage and the encouragement and the peace to trust you and to begin to walk in obedience today. And I pray that in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said.